Good morning, bingers. I'm joined today by one of my besties. She is proof positive that badasses can come in small packages. She's the host of the new hit podcast, Murder in Alliance. Please welcome investigative journalist and true crime podcaster extraordinaire, Maggie Freeling. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. Margaret. How are you doing? Are you? You're never gonna get it right. It's it's Maggie F. You're never gonna get it right. Not a Margaret. It's not. Damn. One of these days, I'm I'm gonna figure it out. Uh, I'm joined today by, of course, the wonderful, talented, and beautiful Maggie Freeling. How are you today, Maggie? Hello, Bob. I'm great. How are you? Good. Um, did you did your cat get as we were uh, getting ready to roll? There was a cat crawling across your microphone. Yeah, he's he's sleeping next to me. He's fully blind. He was born blind, so it's like a lot of a process to like move him on desks when he wants to be up here. Yeah, you you have a blind cat. Fully blind. Yep, he was born blind. His mother abandoned him, and I took him in. From what I could see, it seems like he's still able to find his food oh, bowl. Yeah, he gets he does whatever he wants. <laughs> But I think he is like slightly brain damaged at this point because he will run headfirst into walls and then just like shake it off and keep going. Like he plays like a normal cat. He just can't see. Just can't see anything. <laughs> yeah. hey, they got other senses. That reminds me this this weekend on, on Father's Day, we had a little barbecue out on our, our patio and my 10 year old ran full steam ahead into our screen door, which we've all done. <gasps> I was going to say, was it the glass door? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But, you know, if I did it, I would have crashed everything down. But he's <laughs> tiny. So like, you would have gone right through the door like a cartoon. Like, it would have just been like a Bob Ruff, like, outline. <laughs> right. Outline the yeah. thing. <laughs> exactly. He hit it and bounced, just boing, bounced back and fell on his butt. Oh, and then just looked at me stunned. Like, it took him at least 20 seconds to figure out why he just got deflected from the door oh, or from the no. open door. And then he just kind of crawled away back into the house and hoped nobody saw it. Oh. Poor guy. Um, so how are things going with your... I, I, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we have True Crime Podcast Festival coming up. Yes. And I tried to get you there and you can't go because I you're doing your go. silly podcast. I'm going to be in Ohio. I was really sad. I really want to go. It seems like it's going to be freaking awesome. You know, and hope... I, you know, we've talked about it. There needs to be more space for like true crime podcasters. And like right. CrimeCon has been great. It has given us all a platform, but... You know, it does feel like sometimes it really is centered around like the TV people and like those mm-hmm. stars and like us podcasters. We definitely need a space. So I'm jealous. Have you been to the this will be my first true crime? No, podcast I haven't. Festival. I know some people went the previous year. This would have been my first. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited to go. I'm excited to go meet Josh Hallmark in person. <gasps> That's my... who I wanted to meet in person. I, I was like, <laughs> I love him. I'm so sad I'm not meeting him, you know. I'm going to text you some selfies from him. Please do. I don't even think he like knows who I like. He knows who I am because we talk, but like he's definitely like this creepy girl that stalks me. Like that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I met him on the. Uh, I listened to True Crime Bullshit, and I had him here on the show, and it was just like one of those people that are on I the listened. show. Like, 
yeah, he's like one of my new favorite people and I can't yes. wait to hang out with him. I, lo- I love this show because I feel like it's also made for us podcasters, like true crime right. podcasters. I'm like, oh, there's my friends. Let me listen to what they're saying. And like, I love, like, I look forward to your episodes. Well, I appreciate that. I look forward to making the episodes. I'm yeah. looking forward to making this one. I've, I've ch- I don't know if I've, if I've aired your because this is, I think, the third time I've had you on. I had you and Julieta on talking about Suave. And in Truth and Justice last year, I had you on talking about Unjust and Unsolved. Right. And I don't know if I've dropped that in the bonus episodes here, so maybe I'll do that this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you just keep making freaking podcasts just one after another after, <laughs> after another. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's crazy, the fast turnarounds. Well, Suave wasn't a quick turnaround. That took three years but um Mm -hmm. yeah the turnarounds on these is really really we've talked about it it'll keep you on your toes right and this one you're doing and like i'm so happy because no i feel like and this is just me being self-centered i feel like no one feels my pain (laughs) of doing a real-time investigative podcast which is why you can't go to true crime podcast i know it's exactly why i can't go which is horrible yeah, but let me one-up you on being self-centered. Um, so it's really <laughs> difficult when you're working with PIs and you can't interfere with their investigation. Uh-huh. And so it's like, oh, I could just like call that guy right now and talk to him. And it's like, no, I got to wait for them to do it to make sure everything's like by the books and it's all good right. in court. So I just basically sit around like, hey, guys, can you uh, make that call today? Can you like find that right. guy? So it's like, extra frustrating oh i'm dealing with that right now yeah with my case on truth and so the case typically with truth and justice i try to take a case that hasn't been covered before people that don't have any help yep and we investigate if we determine it's a wrongful conviction then i'll get them help i have connections with the yep. innocence projects and and all this this case i took the case talked to the family had this the case file started reviewing it like let's go full steam ahead start a production and then they got a lawyer like a week after that that like yeah. he, and he he's a great guy he's from new york actually and he's reached out to them and he wants to help them pro bono oh wow and it's like uh it's like like here's me bitching about her having a lawyer but it's like God <laughs> which damn is it. great yeah, yeah which is great <laughs> but like it just makes your job now very frustrating and right you know. because everything now it's like if i want to go interview this person it's like well i better check with justin first and make sure Exactly. They, you know, because because they're going to slam the door in somebody's face. I don't want it to be my face first. Yes. And then them to show up to the interview and then be like, I already talked to that big bearded tattooed yes. guy. I don't need to talk to you. Yes, exactly. So I have to like sit back and work with their schedules. So yep. And that, that's 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 how you ended up. You have to go to Ohio, right? So you're you're working on this podcast with Jason Baldwin. Yes. And his partner at their Proclaim Justice, John Harden. Or, yep, John Harden. And uh, John is a PI, so so mm-hmm. you got John heading to Ohio with you in what's yes. that next week? Next week, John and Danny Waxler, and they're amazing PIs and everything. Mm-hmm. They they're I mean they're just awesome, and it's it's just a very cool process because I think if I wasn't a journalist, I'd probably be a PI because I just love investigating. And mm-hmm. if you're a PI, you can get a license for a gun, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like you can't have those in New York unless you're a cop or a PI, uh-huh. but. Yeah, I mean, so it's cool to watch their process. It's very similar to what journalists do, but, you know, they also have these laws that they're working with. So it's definitely interesting. Right. Now, how did you get hooked up with with Jason and John? So let's see. I got hooked up with Jason. Okay, so when I was working on Unjust and Unsolved, I 
came across a couple cases that they had at Proclaim Justice. And it was really interesting because when I reached out, reached out to John. And as we were talking, like we got on the phone, he was just the nicest guy. I'm like, this is so uh-huh. weird. Usually when I talk to PIs, they're like kind of douchey, kind of stuck up, like kind of like former cops, you know, a lot of them right, are. Yeah. So they're kind of like copy. And John's copy. not a former cop. He's a former <laughs> right. like activist and politician. So he was not like that. And he was just really nice. And then I guess through our conversation, I found out that Jason was part of the organization. I didn't even know that. I just reached out because I found these cases interesting. Mm-hmm. So I flew down there and uh, met Jason, met John, um, and did three cases. DeMarco Wilson in Arkansas, which is the West Memphis 3 2.0, very similar. Mm-hmm. Jason right. met them in prison. Nikki Zinger in Arkansas, and then Dia Martina Salinas Kalahako in Texas. And actually, she's wrongfully convicted, and the real killer is a serial killer who confessed to it. It's um, the railroad killer. Oh, wow. Now, those cases you did on Unjust? Yes. I did them on Unjust. So that's how I met them all. And when I was there, I said, like, David's case was always in, like, I just could never stop thinking about it. So I was mm-hmm. like, hey, look, like, I'm not, you know, we were drinking and John and Jason love to drink and I love to drink. So we're all just having a great time, <laughs> enjoying Austin, meeting each other. And I was like, look, like, I have this really interesting case. Like, I don't want to, like, pressure you guys. I know you have a lot going on. And I just kind of like floated it by them. They thought it was interesting. And then we had a donor who donated money. And um, mm-hmm. she wanted to give a lot of money, 25000 to David's case to get him an investigator um, or a lawyer or somebody because he hasn't mm-hmm. had anybody for over a decade. And I reached out again and said, hey, look, would you guys be interested if, you know, there's actually money now? This is like a real thing and they're a nonprofit. So money always helps. And it's really how it started. Well, that's awesome that they helped. I, I had an interesting. I, I got connected with Jason. It was before I started the West Memphis Three case. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, it was. I was like, I was thinking about doing the case and was starting to do some research on it, and it was, it was such a weird thing. So I have a friend of mine who's a former Major League Baseball player, and he had recently moved down to the Austin area, and now he does. Uh, he was a pitcher. He does pitching lessons for kids. Ah. And he was up here visiting. We're just sitting out on the deck having drinks. And it was, you know how it is when people, you know, do you have the people that are like, oh, hey, how's the podcast going? Because like they want to act interested, but they don't know what you actually do. Yeah. Right. So it was kind of one of those. Definitely. Yeah. Like, how's the podcast going? How do I watch your podcast? I'm like, you just just don't know what you're saying. Yeah. Where do I watch it? Right. All the time. And it was one of those conversations. And, uh, and I, I think I, I think it's because I know David. Well, I, I'm like, listen, we don't need to do this. Like, like, it's like we don't need to talk about. It. And he's he's like, no, no, no. You do like uh, the true crime stuff, like the the that like wrongful conviction stuff, right? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, I know a guy that actually works with a guy who was wrongfully convicted. I was talking, or, and he's he said, I I I give his son pitching lessons, huh? In Austin, and I'm like, oh yeah, and, and I'm kind of is that John's he, kid. Yeah. So he, yeah. So he, he's like, yeah. I give his son pitching lessons. Yeah. His name's John and stuff. And he, uh, you know, he he works with this. Um, he he works. They have like some kind of organization with some guy that was wrong. He would. This dude was. It was some. I don't remember the story. Some crazy thing out of like Podunk, Memphis, or some shit where he got. And you're and like, I, what? I'm like, are you, are you talking <laughs> about John Harden? And he's he's like, yeah, yeah, Harden, John Harden. That's the guy. 
I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Like, like that's, and I was like in the process of, of wanting to reach out to Jason because I was considering doing the West Memphis oh, three and it kind of wow. all fell into place. And then I was getting ready to go. My wife and I went to Mexico for a vacation and David's like, well, I'll give John your number and we'll see if he can you know, hook up sometime. And I still remember standing on my balcony in Mexico, like a month later. And I get a call and he's like, hey, this is John Harden. You know, just want to touch base. and The nicest. He'll just call. Yeah. Like, I, that's what I mean. I was like expecting some like douchey cop guy. Actually, yeah. hilarious. I <laughs> I was working on one of these cases and the, the guy in prison was like, well, I had a PI. Reach out to him. So I reach out to this PI and uh, literally on the phone, he goes, do you know who I am? And I'm like, excuse me? Like, he was <laughs> such an asshole. Turns out he was a PI for every scummy, like, alleged rapist celebrity you could think of. He was Scott Peterson's uh. PI. He was Bill Cosby's PI. Uh. He was Chris Brown's PI. And so when he said, do you know who I am? Like, this kid was just like, oh, this is my PI. Just call him. So I didn't Google him first. I guess that was, like, my mistake. Should have Googled him. But as he's like, I'm sorry, uh, ma'am, do you know who I am? And it was so condescending. And he... I don't even think he mammed me. It was more like a little girl. Do you know who I am? And I was just you like, You should have been oh. like, do you know who I am? I'm Magdalene Freeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a fucking asshole. Exactly. I shouldn't. I'm going to call him back and be like, excuse me. Do you know who I am? <laughs> right. And then say your full name. No. And record yeah, exactly. it so I can hear it. <laughs> Not Magdalene? <Exactly>. Not Magdalene. <laughs> it's just Maggie. You're the only person <laughs> who tries to call me anything but Maggie. <laughs> and and gets it wrong. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, your birth certificate doesn't say Maggie, right? It does. That is it my says, name. Your name? I don't believe it. What do you mean? My name is Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not short for anything. No. Oh, so you had like cool parents. You were uh, yes. My parents were hippies. So they just went. Right, they went for it. They they did the whole. Well, if we're going to call her this, let's name her this. Yeah, thing. exactly. Which more parents should do? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I went with the, through that with with my ex wife with my uh, my oldest boy. He's his name is Quint. He was named after a fire truck. The Quint is the is the truck that I was the captain on at the time. Okay, uh, which is the big ladder trucks. And there's a reason, but without getting into it, that he was named after that. But we decided we were going to name him Quint. And his mom was like, well, we, have, we can't name him Quint. That's not a name. So we'll name him Quentin and you can call him Quint. And so he, st- so he and after months of so fighting. So he's he Quentin. Up, yeah, his name is Quentin, but we call him Quint. And I was, I was like, if we're going to call him Quint, why don't we just, just name, name him, him Quint? Quint? Yeah. And she said, because that's not a name. But your folks just went for it. Well, Maggie is a name. <laughs> i'm just kidding anything's Quince, a name Quince, yeah anything's a name i mean please with the millennials how they're naming their kids like please. they have like symbols and stuff yeah, like what's every, elon musk's kids name god i don't even know it's horrible don't some some equation kids yeah. these, speaking of speaking of kids these days I, I meant to ask you when we were hanging out in austin do you have jewelry on your teeth yes <laughs> what the fuck is that all about like so Wait. let me back up. So we, we were sitting when we were at that moonshine place. Yeah. We were sitting there hanging out and we were chatting and I was like, oh shit, she's got something on her teeth. I better tell her. And then I was like, wait, that, that looks like maybe it's like on purpose on her. No, it can't be. And so I had to wait until you were gone and then, and then ask my wife. I'm like, did she have so? She's like, yeah, she's got the, she's, what do they call it? The bejeweled teeth, whatever Tooth she's got. gems. <laughs> like that's not, a, what the hell is that? How is that? What is that? It's a thing. 
Yeah, they're called tooth gems, and all the kids are doing it. I, Bob, when I'm feeling like, re- like when I'm like going out with like my people, I have a gold tooth I put on. Like I have a whole tooth <laughs> regiment. <laughs> I have Wait, a who's, custom. Who's your people? I thought I was your people. <laughs> well, apparently, a- apparently you're not hip enough to be my people. So, <laughs> um, yeah, tooth gems. So, so what, what they, are there, is that permanent? Do they? Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, it's like they cement it on, like what you do with braces. So I could like technically pop them off but um yeah my dentist isn't really happy about it but you know i bet he's not no he's just glued <laughs> jewels to your teeth cement it they've been on for two years no and, and, and you and you have a gold tooth i have wear. a gold tooth next time we hang out i will pro- i'll put on the gold tooth i just thought it would be a little too much for like crime con austin like it, it might have been like a little too much but if we were like having a night on the town like just the homies, I'd put the gold tooth in. The gold tooth is coming out. <laughs> yeah. if, if it's just a night in the town with you and your people with me, yeah. old oh, fuddy duddy you know tagging what? along. On my, on my private Instagram, which you can be friends with since now we're friends, I do have a picture of my my full tooth setup. Here we go. Can you see the gold tooth? I can. That's that's pretty gangster right there. Right? It's impressive. <laughs> and you just have one. I like that there's just one. I'm just kind of a symmetry guy, so it, it bothers oh, me are, a little okay. bit that there's only one. Okay. All right. You, well, know, the, then you might have to look <laughs> away when I talk then. I don't know. <laughs> well, I noticed the jewels you you matched up equally on each side, yes. so they balance out. Yes. One is a scorpion and one is um, a cross. That's, uh, that, that's, that's something. And that's something the kids are doing now. I mean, you know that you're not. I mean, you're younger than me, but I don't know that you're a kid. I'm definitely not a kid. <laughs> I'm just like the cool mom. Like I'm going right. to be that cool mom in um oh my god what was that movie um fuck Mean Girls with the mom who like comes in when the kids are going to have sex she's like here's the condoms guys like the kids are like mom get the fuck out she's like okay I'm just the cool mom <laughs> that's that's going to be you <laughs> yeah speaking speaking of you and kids I, I I had the pleasure of meeting your partner over the yes. in in Austin not that. That's a weird transition. You don't have kids. I don't. I, well, I have blind cats and Bl- stuff like blind that. cats. But uh, um, please tell him that I said hi because I thought I he will. was super cool. And well, uh, you know what's I so think- funny is I watched. Um, you know, obviously obsessed with anything West Memphis or Bob Ruff. So of course I watched the documentary. Mm-hmm. And it came out I think around the time we first started dating, and he was never like really into true crime. So I'm watching this, and I was like, "Watch this! It's Bob Ruff. I know him." Blah blah blah. And he was like, "Yeah, whatever." Like he didn't even know about the West Memphis Three. Uh-huh. So now I'm going to rewatch it with him. Now that he knows you and knows Jason, we're going to rewatch it. He'll be so impressed. He has the best hair ever. <sighs> I know his hair's great. It's <laughs> it's great. All right. Well, that well, all the the catch now that we've caught up. Let's let's move on. I want to talk <laughs> about your new podcast. Yes. So the new one, as, as I said, Maggie keeps jamming these things out. The new one is called Murder and Alliance. This one is a long-form, real-time investigative podcast, uh, mm-hmm. similar to Truth and Justice, only mm-hmm. better. Uh, and, in, and in this one, you're invested. So you and I, when we talked last year, and when you did the episode on Unjust and Unsolved, I think you, mm-hmm. I remember you telling me, like, I'm, like, David Thorne's case I texted is, you after, yeah. I remember texting yeah. you after and being like, cover this case. Like, I would tell everybody about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... And it's so and look, awesome you that fucked you just... up. You didn't cover it. <laughs> right. I did. I, I totally blew it. <laughs> you did blow it. Uh, but you're doing, you're doing such an awesome job on it. So you're covering the, the David Thorne case. 
uh, or the the murder of Yvonne Lane, mm-hmm. uh, who was killed on April Fool's Day uh, in 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell people ab- about the case and and what happened to David. Yeah, so it's it's really tragic all around. So Yvonne uh, was 26 years old, a mother of five. She had five very young children. The oldest was 10. She, you know, was going about her life, and she's murdered in her home while four of her children were in the house. Um, sometime after 7 p.m., uh, March 31st, 1999, and her body is discovered by her mother the morning of April Fool's Day at noon. And um, it was a horrific, horrific, like, I don't know if you've seen crime scene photos. I can send those over to you right now. We we don't really put them out to the public. I have them on my Patreon if anyone wants to see them. But um, they're just so gruesome that I don't particularly feel comfortable uh, putting them on the website. But um, they are findable if you want to find them. But, you know, the, the fact of how gruesome it is plays into this. That's why I'm talking about it. So it was a horrific crime scene. This mother of five, 26 years old, virtually decapitated, and her her boyfriend at the time was uh, in prison. So they decided, okay, well, who's who's you know one of the father of her kids? And one of them was David Thorne, and they zeroed in on him pretty immediately. They zeroed in on David immediately. David, however, had a solid alibi. He was an exotic animal keeper i guess you would say this was like mm-hmm. very pre-tiger king um the guys in prison call him the original tiger king but so he actually had a cougar a cougar puppy baby with him that evening at a martial arts class about an hour away so his alibi was like solid people remembered seeing him there there's no way you can forget this cub and so the police were like well it's got to be this guy so he must have hired somebody and sure enough as you know they found the weakest link, this 18-year-old drifter who they backed into a corner and uh, got a recorded confession of him saying, yep, David paid me to do this for $300. One thing that has that, that always baffled me with this case is how did they get to, was it Joe Wilkes? How, how, did they, how did they get to him to begin with? I mean, they're looking at David. Did he, yeah. did he have a connection to David? So he did have a connection with David. So David, so I get into this in episode four. It's a whole episode about Joe um, because his story is really important too. you know, knowing why he was so susceptible to a false confession. Mm -hmm. So Joe was a drifter. He had an incredibly traumatic childhood. He was abused by his parents, then put in a foster home, abused by the foster parents. All of the abuse was physical, sexual, everything. Put in the foster home, abused by those parents. Winds up virtually homeless at 16 while he's in high school. And he meets David Thorne, who's about 10 years older than him. But David's this nice guy. He's the guy that, you know, does martial arts and has the cougar and he's just works on cars. You know, David was like the town cool guy, nice guy, had a good job. And he would see Joe, you know, this kind of. I wouldn't use the word loser, but a lot of people have said this kind of like loser, downtrodden, homeless kid that didn't really have friends, was the weird kid. And David would be nice to him. He'd pick him up, give him rides home so he didn't have to walk miles. He would try and get him work sometimes. And that's how they knew each other. They weren't necessarily friends. Again, there was a 10-year age gap, but David was kind of like a father figure that Joe never had. So 
It, it is very unclear, and we're still trying to get to the bottom of it. In the latest episode, we go to try to talk to the two witnesses who allegedly saw Joe at the mall the night of the murder, and he allegedly told them he was going to kill a woman. We tried to talk to them to get to the bottom of the story, and they do not want to speak. One of them we can't find. A lot of the people in this town are drifters and are mm-hmm. almost impossible to find. Um, meth has gone rampant in the area, so a lot of people have become you know, addicted to meth and don't have the greatest lives right now. But somehow those two have this story. They see Joe Wilkes at the mall. He says he's going to murder somebody months after the murder is when this girl's mother calls the police and says, hey, I think my daughter knows something about this murder. And that's how Joe got brought in, three months after the murder. And then- So the pl- it wasn't with the police looking at David, then that but they But they them. were stuck. And then, uh-huh. God, Bob, wait till you hear the psychic episode. The police were stuck and went to a psychic. There's a whole episode with these never-before-heard psychic tapes that are just- Truly shocking because it's not what the psychic says. It's what the police say to the psychic about their own department and their potential involvement in the murder. It's even the, the, the psychic is like, what are you saying to me right now? You guys need a new police force. This is insane. So no, they were completely stuck. They went to a psychic. They really thought it was David, but he had an alibi. They had nothing. They went to two of his other friends and said, hey, did David have you do this? They had this murder for hire in their head. Mm-hmm. Two other friends, I spoke to one of them, and he was like, they tried to coerce me into saying David hired me to kill her. And then they get Joe, the sad, eager-to-please kid. They said, David's in the other room saying, you know, you did this, he's giving you up. And Joe said, well, if David says that I did this, then yeah, I did it. So when you play in the in the I don't think there's much of a spoiler because it's right in the opening scene of the first episode, uh, we hear that confession, mm-hmm. you know, some of the confession. And it starts off with just him. them con- He confesses that he did it, that he mm-hmm. killed her. And then though I, I think the way you kind of framed it is that they say, but then that wasn't enough. So then then they got him to say that they, he did it because. David paid him to do that. Like, why Why do you think, why wasn't it enough for them just to get their confession from Joe? They really wanted David. I don't know why. There was not a single shred of evidence tying him to the crime scene. There wasn't a shred of evidence tying Joe to the crime scene. They had a murder weapon initially. They had a kitchen knife that matched the set in her home that was found down the block. Uh-huh. There was a fingerprint on it. Didn't match Joe. Didn't match David. You know, they tested David to it right away. Never matched him. So, you know, whose fingerprint is on this knife? Then when they find Joe, they suddenly find the actual, quote, murder weapon and these pants that Joe was allegedly wearing that night, which have not a shred of evidence on them either. Neither does this three-inch lock blade pocket knife. Tell me this. The incision on her neck, she was almost decapitated. It is eight inches by th- by four inches. How does a three inch pocket knife make that incision? It doesn't. It yeah, doesn't. Did the autopsy show there was like it looked like multiple cuts or it looked like nope. a one? Nope. It was a full slice. slit in her neck that virtually decapitated her. There, that pocket knife is not making that cut. Mm-hmm. It's just not happening. So 
Then they decided that was the murder weapon. And that's, that's, that's all the evidence. Then these two kids that say they saw Joe at the mall and he told them he was going to murder somebody. So they get to Joe because they get this tip yeah. from somebody, somebody from the mall. And that's, this, that's the part that, you know, we're still trying to get to the bottom of right now. These two kids, Rose Moore and Chris Campbell, what their involvement is, it, it's unclear. I personally believe they did see Joe at the mall. And I do think they thought he was weird. Rose didn't know him, but Chris did. Chris and Joe actually did not get along. They got in a fight in school that actually got Joe expelled. So the whole interaction is strange to me that Joe would sit down and have this whole conversation with them, with this kid that he hated, and it just doesn't make any sense. So we're still trying to figure out how Joe's name even got brought up by them, what the police were asking them, but it's it's odd. And there is a slight bit of truth to it, but I don't believe that Joe said, I'm going to kill somebody. And that tip, that tip came in months later. Months. It wasn't, it wasn't like until the next morning they were like, hey, this guy's July. in here telling No, us. it was July 12th that the police got the phone call. Some, somewhere around July 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. And the murder was March 31st. So what's the, what's the case here? They, they get David is convicted solely pretty much based on uh, Joe's confession. Uh, exclusively on Joe's confession. They were never able to track any money trail or anything like that or any communication. There was a $300 payment to Joe. Uh-huh. That David gave him to buy a car. It was a $300 Volkswagen, some piece of shit clunker. David worked on cars and Joe needed a car. He was sick of driving him around, gave him $300 to buy a car. That was the money that they said was for the murder. $300 to murder your ex-girlfriend. Right. And then, but the forensics on the scene, is there any forensics tying either one of the two to the scene? No. And I, so I just linked you the crime scene photos. Yeah, I was kind of buzzing through them. Yeah, you need to see this because when you, I, th- I think that's the thing is that like a lot of people don't realize is like, I think click on um, dining room is like bonkers. When you see the crime scene and you see her, her body and um, yeah, living room, if you click on living room, that's where, that's where she is. Um. It's so obvious this wasn't a pocket knife, and it's so obvious that this was like a very personal murder. This was not a, in my opinion, this was not a hit. This wasn't just someone going in, killing her, and, you know, walking out. That would be pretty clean from what I would, would think. This is like so beyond brutal and overkill. So there is a lot of blood at the scene, and they didn't, from all the reports I read, there's no other blood that um, seems to be anybody else's. However, there's a lot of stuff that was never tested, and we have so much new technology now, as you know, there's a lot of stuff that could and should be touch DNA tested. Right. Like, I'm looking at the phone that's next to her body. Yes. All of this should be touch tested. Mm Mm-hmm. If you get to the photos of the pillowcase on the couch, Mm -hmm. it very clearly is a knife swipe that matches the kitchen knife that they found in the street. The first weapon that they found that I believe is the actual murder weapon. Mm -hmm. Somebody touched that pillowcase, wiped off the blade, and left the house. That pillowcase should be tested for touch DNA. Right. 
That's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, anybody that did this, this you know, where you have both carotid arteries severed, there's yeah, as you said, there's a, there's a massive amount of blood everywhere. This is a case where truly the killer would have been covered, covered. in blood. So that's the that's here. the the insane thing about Joe's story. He allegedly walked 3.5 miles from a hotel down the street that David allegedly paid for this hotel for him. Walked 3.5 miles to her house, then murdered her. Should be covered in blood. I mean, you could see her body is dragged. Somebody dragged her. Oh, right. I mean, this person would clearly be covered. So then he leaves the house presumptively covered in blood and walks another 3.5 miles down a main highway of strip malls like Mm -hmm. this is a four-lane road with strip malls everywhere full lights covered in blood to the hotel that did not happen that did not happen and nobody sees him nobody sees this this is the biggest murder in years in this town this town doesn't have murders so mm-hmm. this 26-year-old mother is brutally murdered in her home, and we have the murderer allegedly walking down the street covered in blood, and nobody saw this? It didn't happen. Did police ever try to get a hold of the hotel uh, staff to see if, if they had any evidence of blood in the hotel room? No, that never happened. But the hotel manager or clerk or somebody did testify that Joe checked into the hotel, which, when he recanted... He said, yeah, I was having a hotel party. I got a hotel room. And that's apparently what we believe he said to Rose and Chris. He invited them to his hotel party when he saw them at the mall that night. So if Joe did this, which we still are unsure if Joe actually did do this himself, what we know is did not happen is we know David did not pay him to do this. It just does not make sense. David had absolutely no motive. If Joe did this on his own... It still didn't happen the way he's saying that it happened. It just, the witnesses at the mall saw him in all white, allegedly. And then the pants that he was, quote, wearing that night that the police found are all black. It just, right. it just none of it makes sense. Yeah. So, and that's what I was going to ask you is if this is a case where you feel like Joe did it, but David didn't pay for it, or if the police completely got it wrong. I, I personally don't believe Joe did this. By all accounts, he was not a violent person. He was just a sad kid. I mean, to go from having virtually no criminal record and to suddenly commit this heinous slaying doesn't make sense to me. Was anything stolen? Was I mean, the only thing that we have discovered from the psychic tapes is there was apparently, quote, a little bit of marijuana found. That is not in any evidence. So, the police are saying there was marijuana found there. Where'd that go? Well, surprise, the Alliance Police Department has a lot of drug connects because just months earlier, the former chief of police was fired for stealing guns, drugs, and marijuana from the evidence room. So, Uh. where'd that marijuana go? I don't know. Did the police pocket it because they know that it might come back to them if they were selling drugs on the street? They said... On record, they found marijuana there, and there is no marijuana listed in evidence. So, you know, nothing of obvious was stolen, but we don't even know what was there. Right. Yeah, it just seems like there's, and there's, I, I presume, based on the photos, but I, I'm assuming there was checked, there was no sexual assault. There was no sexual assault. 
However, there was condoms found. We've discovered that she was most likely, by all accounts, a sex worker. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of men in, in and out of her house. Was it one of those men that she had over that night that killed her? Yeah. Do you have any leads? Oh, yeah. We have a lot. We have good ones. You don't want to share them <laughs> right now, do you, before everybody listens to them? No, on not Word before Alliance. everybody listens. But um, yeah, I just don't think Joe did this. You know, one of Joe's stories, though, is that he didn't do it, but he did go over there to invite her to the hotel party and found her dead, panicked, and left the house. Mm-hmm. That I can believe. I don't believe that Joe brutally murdered her. I just don't. It just seems that. too random. You know what I mean? And, and that's what I was getting, like, without a, a clear motive. There's no motive. Everyone and he lives in this three and a town, half miles away. Yeah, everyone in this town actually had a motive to kill her. Whether it be she was shaking them down for money, extorting them with fake pregnancies, um, they're part of the police force and were sleeping her in, with her, and they didn't want that to get out to her their wives. Um, she owed people money. She was apparently a go-between for drug dealers and the police. Like, there are so many stories. Her mother-in-law hated her because she was keeping welfare money, and one of then the mother-in-law was taking care of her child. Like, literally, oh, and her father was allegedly sexually abusing her. It's like the entire town had a motive to kill her, except for David Thorne. And I would categorize Joe Wilkes had no motive to kill her. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's hard to see. It, it seems like there would be somebody there. This is a personal cause homicide from something that was triggered on the scene. Because you said her kids were there and stuff. If, I mean, her if someone's going there. to, yeah, if someone's going to do a hit, that you know, that's I don't think that's how you do it. You know, there's easier, better, cleaner ways to do it, that. That's what I'm saying. That's why I, you know, I stress how graphic it is not to, you know do some sort of like gore porn stuff but like it's it's important how graphic this scene is because it does not look like a hit um unless it was the sloppiest hit ever in which case joe would still be covered in blood and walking down the street most likely noticed and again he was not noticed so i don't i just i don't understand i mean also the murder weapon which i believe is the murder weapon the first weapon that was found the kitchen knife was taken from her home it doesn't seem like someone went there with the intention to kill her. It seems more like right. there was probably an argument of some kind. Yeah, that, that definitely looks that way. What, um, what did uh, Joe get? So I know that David got life without parole. David almost got the death penalty. Mm-hmm. The jury could not decide on the death penalty. And so the judge had to. And the judge, I don't think, could actually give it to him. So he gave him life without. Joe got 30 to life. So Joe actually would be technically up for parole in 10 years but i highly doubt he'll get parole yeah it seems unlikely god it's so crazy that (laughs) just how the sentencing works the you know the the disparity there that the person that brutally killed this woman is convicted of brutally killing this woman can get out in 30 years but the person that supposedly paid that person to do it goes for life Mm mm-hmm Oh, death. I mean, he should he 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 probably would have gotten death. I mean, if the jury, I don't know how many holdouts or what happened, but I mean, his life was in the hands of this jury and they just were like, we can't decide, which is terrifying. David could be dead by now. God, that's in, that's insane. It's a super interesting case. I'm really excited. As I mentioned before we got on the air, I just started 
my binge last week and then immediately reached out to Maggie and said, come on and talk about this. <laughs> so, but I, I can't wait to, to catch up. How many total episodes can listeners expect? 20. There's going to be 20 episodes. And many of those are not recorded yet, right? Because you're still working on the case. As of speaking to you at this moment, I'm working on episode 12. So I have eight episodes that I'm like, who the hell knows what's going to happen in those episodes, which is terrifying, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> right. Every week, <laughs> I like to call it white knuckle podcasting. You wake up Monday morning. What are we going to talk about this week and yeah. start investigating? And well, I've happens. kind of I'm I'm taking a page from your book. And I, I, t I told Patrick, I was like, it's the Bob Ruff approach. We have a Q&A next week just to like buy some time, like right. answering listener questions. I'm like, Bob does this. This is freaking brilliant. I'm going to do this too. So there's probably going to be a couple Q&A episodes in there somewhere. Yeah. there. And, you know, the, the, I like doing those for two reasons. One, the one you just named, because sometimes you just get to where like, I, you know, there's no time with this type of production to take my family on a vacation or mm -hmm. go to crime con or, you know, go to Houston, which I have to do next week for work and still do the production. So a lot of it's productive, like, okay, let's, I can do a quick Q and a that's easy. I can get that on the, on the books and then I can get out of here and go do the other thing I need to do. And the other part of it's always nice to, when you're doing something in real time. And I presume that you're kind of, there's, there's a crowdsourcing model to this too, yes. where people are jumping in and trying to help like where yeah. listeners get to actually be involved. Yeah. Well, that's why I've been putting, I know you put all your case files on the website. I, you know, I decided to do it on Patreon just because there is a lot of really sensitive stuff in there. I, don't, I mean, I'm new to this, so maybe I will start putting case files on the website, but I decided to do it on Patreon. But yeah, I, I encourage people to go through the case files and, you know, see if we missed anything. I would love that. You know, we've had a couple people, a lot, I mean, most people that have reached out have said, you know, I've had horrible interactions with the APD. I believe everything that you're saying in this podcast. Um, I've had two former partners of Joe Wilkes reach out and say, I never thought he did this. He's not violent. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of, you know, there no actual tips have come in, but it's a lot of people just confirming again and again things that we knew, which is great for your reporting. You know, as a journalist, I'm like, right. great. These are other people saying, yes, 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 you're getting it right. So it's been a lot of that. Yeah, and I think that you'll see too as as the audience grows and the reach gets along. You, what usually happens, as the uh, in my experience, as people get more interested in the case, then all of a sudden you start hearing from like, "Hey, that person you're looking for, that's my cousin." Yeah, and I can put you in touch with them, or I've got some information. So hopefully that that's all going to come up. You all need to check it out. The podcast is called Murder in Alliance, and her name is the one and only Maggie Freeling. Check it out. It's going to be your next big true crime binge. I know that it's going to be mine. Thanks, Maggie. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, 
please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.